Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun Man About, About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And, and I'm Rachel Jacobs. <laughs> Mary, you're going to get it one week day. and I'm out of sync. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I hope that by episode 160, Mary will get that together, but uh, she's been Dude, pretty Dude, I was different. out last week. You can't. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're I feeling better and we're Me glad too. you're here. I did, uh, we did talk about how much we missed you last week um but i realize now that well rachel's great and, uh, and you're fired that's that's really great. thanks there's stuff Still going on what's going on mary hold on everybody's adjusting their sorry their i usually adjust my mic uh, yeah, yeah. my headphones before Let we get start more the show and i headphones. didn't all right, so let's start. We've got a couple of announcements. There's actually, you know, we're heading into warmer weather and lots of springtime activities, so there's a lot going on. Um, first thing up is the Blue Point 12th Annual Cask Ales Festival out on Patchogue, Long Island. Um, it's going to be April 16th, 2016. Tickets are still available. Chris and I will be there, along with my brother, who's going to be visiting right. from Atlanta. We'll um, be repping Kelso. We'll yep. be pouring a Carroll Garden with Dry Hop with Citra, and we'll be pouring a Palo Dry Hop with Galaxy. People will come out the box. There's a lot. I love, love, love cask ale, and it's a great way to kind of taste beer served in that in the traditional way. It's yeah. awesome. And I haven't been for a couple... I think last time I went was a couple years ago, but you can... People, they do some super interesting <laughs> casks, so you get to taste. I mean, there's a lot of delicious beers, and there's some really unusual stuff sometimes. So it's fun, and if hopefully the weather will be beautiful. Other, I mean, regardless, they have tents. It's just a cool location, and it's walkable from the Long Island Railroad, so it's super easy to get to. Next up is Tap New York. That's the beer festival of all New York State breweries. Yep, that's on the uh, April 23rd and 24th. Um, there's still tickets available for that, and. Um, Will you guys be there? Yeah, yeah. we'll be repping Kelso once again. <laughs> but I haven't told them exactly what we're bringing. But we're probably bringing a grape lambic style ale. Not a lambic ale, a lambic style. Like American sour with grape. Uh, and maybe our Flemish red. And probably our, our Kelso nut brown. Because I think that one just is a beautiful, crisp brown lager that, that just is righteous in a festival of weirdness. That sounds great. I will not <laughs> be there because it is Passover, um, where I cannot drink beer at all. Um, and actually, if anybody's interested for what they can drink and what they can make on Passover, um, because it is a weird stigma that only terrible, terrible wines are kosher for <laughs> Passover, and we need to fight that. Um, I wrote a five-part series. It's Alcohol Week in um, Juicy Magazine. That's J-E-W-C-Y uh, dot com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't make that. <laughs> um, it's a tablets offshoot um, cultural uh, website and uh Tune in there to find out more about what you can brew for Passover and what you can drink on Passover. Before we go on, let's, be, let's before we go on to more announcements, let's let's dive right into that since we're on the subject. Mm-hmm. So you wrote a five part series mm-hmm. and and it's on juicy juicy dot com yeah. And oh. the first article is out right now mm-hmm. and it talks about uh, it talks about um, what it means to be kosher for Passover and why 
uh, yeast is not um, unkosher for Passover, rather, um, because... What does kosher mean? <laughs> well, what, I don't want to get into what kosher means. <laughs> That's a long story. But um, things that are not kosher for Passover include um, anything that is made with the five grains, which is uh, wheat, barley, spelt rye, and oats. Um, and anything that is leavened with those, basically anything that's come in contact with water, with water that is made from one of those and uh, has not cooked before uh, 18 minutes are up. Long story about the 18 <laughs> minutes. Um, but because yeast itself is not um, what we call uh, chametz, which is the word for the the um, for the grains or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's not chametz. It's fine to have on Passover, which uh, if you couldn't have yeast on Passover, you couldn't have wine on Passover. And as we a lot of people know, wine is part of the ritual of Passover. Um and so there's a lot of things that you can make. Basically anything that isn't beer <laughs> or anything that isn't made from a grain you can drink on Passover. I'll, I get into the details about um, – because a lot of – there's very strict rules for Passover about what um, – you really can't touch anything that has been in contact with any of the five grains. Or if you're Ashkenaz like I am, you also can't have a lot of other things that I'm super mad about um, <laughs> because they, like, are often, like, um, milled with – Oh. The grains. Oh, um, I've actually had. I've actually. I'm mad about it, but then I've like actually opened a box of lentils where um, there have been pieces of wheat in it. So I guess I understand that. But um, anyway, yeah. So there's um. I go into more detail in the article, but basically, uh, yeast is kosher for Passover. Um, I trust labs to keep the strains separate from the strains that you would usually brew with. Right. So they're pretty hardcore about that. Yeah. I mean, they're labs. Well, you have to be. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, going on to back to back to uh, what's around. We just around. have a couple more announcements. Yep. Savor yes. is coming up in Washington D.C. That's the Brewers Association Big American Craft Beer and Food Experience. It's an awesome weekend. It's June third and fourth, and they have not sold out yet. I'm sure they will soon. So tickets are still available. That's Savor S A V O R Craftbeer dot com. And more locally, this Sunday, Ferment Ferment here at uh, yes. uh, which uh, we keep talking about. It's one of our favorite events uh, annually. Uh, April tenth, Ferment Ferment at the Brooklyn Free School, three seventy two Clinton Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. It's a great time. It is free, but they do ask for donations uh, towards the cause and to, and to, to supporting things. I will be there with a couple of my pets. <laughs> yeah, and you should bring fermentation. That's right. So if you haven't fermented anything, but you would like to come and you would like to ferment something, there's a lot of stuff that you can quick ferment. I'm probably going to bring... We have some ferments, fermented vegetables that we have have already completed and are ready. Um, but I'm going to do a yogurt actually this week. And then, uh, the sourdough starter is going strong. Mm. I re- I was ignored it that I got from Tony Lamuaco, who we had on the show a few weeks ago. Um, but anyway, I, I got it out and it is going strong. So I'm going to try to make some bread. Um, but fast ferments, you could do a fast, a quick fermented kimchi that would only take a couple of days. Um, and we'll get more into that Half actually with our guest who's nodding. I'm like, yes, who's let's our save guest? that discussion. Um, so we're super excited to have Rob Handel on the show today. Rob, welcome. welcome. Thanks, thanks. So tell us about a little bit about yourself. So uh, I'm a chef at Heather Ridge Farm in the Bees Knees Cafe. So we're a cafe that's located right on a livestock farm. Uh, we raise all of the meat, eggs, and honey that we use on the farm. And then we use all local vegetables, dairy, cheeses. And uh, we do a lot of ferments in the cafe that we serve to our guests. Awesome. And where is the cafe? Where is the cafe So we're farm? in Preston Hollow. It's the Northern Catskills. Right where the Catskills, the Hudson Valley, and the Capital District meet. Okay. So about three hours from New York. You said you do a lot of dairy? 
Uh, we use a lot of local dairy. Local uh, dairy. We do okay. a, we do a couple of dairy ferments. You know, we do some yogurts and kefirs and things like that. From from milk from from. Uh, yeah, we get on your farm. Uh, no, not from our farm. Okay. Uh, you know, the dairy is such a unique um, farming thing where you either do dairy or you do anything else. Right. Um, so we get all of our milk through Cowbella, which is. Um, they're a dairy located in Jefferson, New York, and they're a small dairy. They sell non-homogenized cream line milk. So it's pasteurized, but it's non-homogenized. So it's mm-hmm. great for making fresh cheeses. You know, we do um, like a fromage blanc. We do ricotta with that. That's exciting stuff. Yeah. How long have you personally been fermenting? Uh, I've been fermenting for years. Um, I started brewing kombucha uh, probably about eight years ago and picked it up from there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I actually, I, I did some, uh, I did make some fruit wines and stuff in high school. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I got brewing seriously uh, after that. So let's, you, so you do a lot of different ferments. I'm trying to think, you also do foraging up there, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're, um, our farm has about 150 acres on it. And then we lease a farm uh, that's right next to us that has even more land. So there's hundreds of acres uh, in the mountains of things to forage. So a lot of what I do, uh, you know, I go out into the woods, I forage, and then I use fermentation to either make some of the bitter greens that I forage more palatable or to actually preserve things to use year-round. You know, one of the struggles of having a farm-to-table cafe in the Catskill Mountains is that the season is so short. You know, it's really a six-month season. So I've developed a lot of techniques to be able to preserve stuff in the summer, in the spring, in the fall, and then use it up all winter long uh, so that we still have local products throughout the winter. Awesome. And you preserve, uh, you also do charcuterie, right? Uh, we, we do some charcuterie. Uh, right now we serve uh, cooked charcuterie because okay. we, we aren't set up to do dry curing. Um, at home I do a lot of fermented salami and dry curing and whole muscle stuff, um, but I'm just not set up to do that there yet, but that's something we're working on. Cool. How long have you been a chef at the Bee's Knees? Uh, this and is going to be my third season. Been open? The Bee's Knees, uh, the farm itself has been open for about 12 years, I believe. The Bee's Knees has been open for seven, and this is going to be my third season there. So, so let's dive right in. Let, let's ask, what are some of your favorite ferments right now that you're uh, doing? Or some of the highlights, maybe either seasonal or just that you particularly love? Yeah, so one of my favorite things, which uh, I, I loved it so much because it was so unexpected, um, and it's actually coming up to the season to do it, is a nettle beer. And it's actually, it's not technically a beer because there's no grain involved. Um, it's really just the nettles, the water, and some sort of fermentable sugar. You know, I usually use white sugar because it gives a cleaner flavor profile. But um, the nettles, and I was really skeptical when I'd heard about this, that the nettles would create this beer-like flavor. But it's really remarkable how uh, it, you do have these hop notes and these kind of yeast notes. And I, um, you make a tea out of the nettles. Uh, something else I've been doing is adding spruce tips to that. And the spruce tips give it this really nice citrusy tartness. Um, and we don't, uh, we aren't set up to brew beer and sell the beer, but I brew the beer and then use it as an ingredient in the food. Mm-hmm. And you drink oh. it, you can drink it at home. I mean, I you're making stuff home. for home consumption as well, I Yeah, assume. you know, a lot of these things start as something that I make at home, and if it's really good, I brew a larger batch for the cafe. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Well, what do you make with the uh, nettle beer? So the nettle beer, um, I've made beer cheese sauces that we serve with pretzels. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we do these five-course tasting dinners. So for something special like that, I'll make a batch of beer cheese sauce using one of the local cheeses that we have, the nettle beer, um, and then we serve warm pretzels with it. I've also used it in some emulsified sausages, and those are sausages like mortadella, bologna, um, you know, hot dogs. They have that really smooth, uh, smooth consistency. 
And that's actually achieved by mixing liquid in with the meat and the fat and forming an emulsion. So usually you use ice chips, which keeps the meat cold and then adds the liquid. But what I've done is I've frozen the nettle beer and added that in. And that adds, you know, I've made, um, in Germany, they have a sausage called Weisswurst, which is a veal Mm -hmm. sausage. And we don't raise veal on the farm, so I make it with pork. Mm -hmm. And I use that beer in it, and it's really phenomenal. Um, You know, we do a foraged mustard with garlic mustard seeds and... That and the Weisswurst is really great together. That sounds amazing. It's cranking. <laughs> now, the nettle beer, are you adding hops to that, or is it kind of technically a No, it, it's really more of a gruit. Okay. So I, I usually, when I describe it to people, I say it's a nettle beer because that's a fl- it's a flavor profile that people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. But um, it's more like a gruit, and I suppose it's not even really technically a gruit because there's no grain in it. You know, it's really a nettle wine, but the flavor profile is... Um, and, you know, I've noticed a couple other people who I know and who I follow, uh, follow who forage, they've been making a lot of these herbal beers. And, you know, everybody acknowledges that it's not really a beer. It's not made with grain. But the flavor profile is so similar to beer that, you know, that's the only thing we can figure out. Well, and the alcohol, you're, you're doing what, around beer strength alcohol, yeah. not wine. So like 5 to 6% or exactly. something like that. Exactly. And uh, I've been using, um, I haven't been using wild yeast for that. So I've been pitching it with beer yeast. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Cool. So, and you're foraging. These are are these stinging nettles? Is that the same yeah. kind of yeah, nettle that you're using? Nettles. So funny. I was just talking about this with a friend this weekend who we were actually talking about nettle gruet. Um, so for those of us who can't forage, I'm I'm guessing we could get this at the green market for a very small amount of time, maybe. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sure there's somebody selling nettles at the green market. One thing I want to try this year is I want to dry some of the nettles and see how it works with dehydrated nettles. Ah. Um, You know, the nettles, when you pick them up fresh, they'll sting you. You know, they're called stinging nettles. And that's actually not uh, so much a function of them having thorns, but there's a chemical in there that causes irritation. And that's neutralized either by heating it or by dehydrating it. So um, I'm thinking I'm going to dehydrate a bunch of nettle. You know, I have tons and tons of nettles um, growing, you know, both at the farm and where I live. So, um, can you freeze them? Could you freeze them fresh? You, and then? you might be able to. Sometimes uh, with forage things, the freezing changes the flavor, though. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to do more experimentation this year to see how I can preserve the nettles rather than making gallons and gallons and gallons of this uh, beer. Right. And then do you ever combine, like, add yarrow or some, uh, something else that's... Uh, one you know... thing that I've added so far is uh, spruce tips. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. And you're pick- are you picking those fresh as well? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So they have this really interesting citrusy tart flavor. Um, so that makes a really great summer beer. You know, reminds me of um, you know more of a vice beer than um, than anything else. Do you do your spruce tips fresh or, yeah. or wet? Or fresh, you, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the great thing is they're usually out at the same time. Uh, to some extent, you know, it's when the spruce tips come out. It's usually in June, and it's and that's just like the new growth on the spruce. Yeah. Right? So if you have spruce, um, you could also use firs. If you have those trees, you'll notice in the spring um, they grow to be maybe about an inch and a half long. And it's this really vibrant uh, green. It's a lot brighter than the green on the rest of them. And they're really tender. You can actually, um, what I've done is I've chopped them up and added them to honey. And I serve that with cheese. And you can use spruce. You can use some firs, uh, some pines, and hemlock. Um, You know, not the water hemlock, which is poisonous, but hemlock trees. Ooh, I think a spruce tip short meat would be delicious. Oh, I bet it would. I actually, I do want to experiment this year. Um, The problem with doing all of these things is that the season is so short and you don't want to commit to doing a whole ton of this stuff and have it not work out. Right. So every year I do small batches trying to experiment, but it's a whole year before you can do it again. You can make it again. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So this year I want to um, 
I tapped a bunch of maple trees at my house and I made, you know, 11 quarts of maple syrup. I want to try doing some with maple, some with honey and work on some other sweeteners and see what that gets. Awesome. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back with more. Ferment about it. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Have you listened to A Taste of the Past? It's a show devoted to connecting our current food world with its storied past. Host and culinary historian Linda Palaccio welcomes chefs, scientists, authors, scholars, and revolutionaries into the studio to discuss food culture and history from around the globe. Have you seen the culture of food change over the past 25, 30 years? It's been incredible. Linda covers content ranging from the history of black chefs in the White House to behavioral psychology and the evolution of Italian food in America. You can listen to A Taste of the Past anytime on HeritageRadioNetwork.org or on iTunes and Stitcher. Welcome back to episode 158 of Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are here in the studio with Rob Handel from Bees Knees Cafe at Heather Ridge Farm. That's heather-ridge-farm.com. And it is in Preston Hollow, New York. And we're talking about fermentations of all kinds that he incorporates into the uh, seasonal menu fair at, at the at the cafe. You use fermentation a lot to make things more palatable, things that you forage, and you suggested that you use acorns, too, as one of those things. How do you make an acorn palatable? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Um, well, uh, really, the biggest challenge, most of the acorns that we have are red oaks, and the red oaks have a lot more tannins than the other acorns. So you have to boil them with multiple changes of water to leach out all those tannins. Um, you know, the way the Native Americans would do it is they would put it in a river or a creek and let the water. Um, I've heard of people actually... Like after they break them open? Yeah. So yeah, they collect would, like all the the, yeah, the um, middle part. What do you call that? The uh, meat. Yeah, the, the, the actual nut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they shell them and there's the actual nut meat. Yeah. Um, the way uh, the way some people do it these days, and I've never done it because it sounds a little ridiculous, is they actually put it in the tank of their toilet because it's it's separate oh, from the bowl. I guess and that makes sense. Every time yeah. you flush the toilet, yeah. there's fresh water. water. So people yeah. who don't have access to a creek do that. I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. I mean, that's that's an good. interesting <laughs> modern day yeah, take. Yeah, they, they bleach out there, but I still don't buy it. So, um, so what I do is we, we crack them, uh, and then we just boil them with multiple changes of water. And then you can actually grind them and make a dough. So um, the thing is, uh, because they're already wet, I don't. Some people will dry them out and then grind them dry. I actually uh, puree them wet and then use them uh, to make doses. Ah, oh, cool. So, yeah. so you're making just a traditional fermented dosing. Exactly. Yeah. Dough. Yeah, with the with awesome. the acorns in it. With acorn. Awesome. How does it taste? What's it? What's how it does taste it taste like? Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, it's hard to explain. It's a little bit nutty. Um, the, the acorn is a, it's a pretty neutral flavor, though. You know, the, the fermentation, that tanginess of the dose is really what comes through more than anything else. Right. So you're getting similar flavor characteristics in, in that way. Just kind yeah. of the background is a little bit different. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. 
Um, what else are some of your favorite ferments that you've been well, doing? Well, uh, speaking of kimchi, we do. Um, I do a wild greens kimchi, and the greens in it change all the time. You know, it depends on what's out and what's in you know great abundance. But I try to mix some of the more pungent greens with some milder greens, and uh, things like curly dock, which um, you know it's this big. Uh, this big, it's a lot of times it grows in people's gardens and it's a pest, but uh, the leaves are a little bit tough. So uh, the kimchi is great for that because the fermentation really, it softens it up. Uh, some of the more pungent herbs, the salt balances out the bitterness and then the fermentation changes the fl- fl- uh, flavor profile. And then are you just doing it like you would a regular kimchi and like, you know, with a brine yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and s- similar kimchi flavoring or do you have your uh, own take? No, I... Or uh, spicing? Yeah, no, I, um, I use pretty standard kimchi, you know. Cool. The chili powder and uh, garlic, uh, scallions, that kind of thing. Awesome. And then I know one thing that you like to do is you said you like to use a lot of your fermented foods in dishes. Yeah. So to compliment, and I know, so I had made a batch of um, just straight up pickles from cucumbers, and I let them go a little too long, and they're really soggy. Mm-hmm. So I was going to make something else with them. I was actually just going to make like a simple dip or, you know, like a sauce to, to put on something else. So I think that's one thing is that a lot of people... When they ferment their veggies, they have either they have so much they don't want to just eat them all straight, but mm-hmm. they don't really know what to do with them. So, what are some examples? I know you had talked about you know using your gruet or the the nettle beer. Yeah, yeah. Well, we uh, with the kimchi, I make uh, spring rolls with them. Ooh, you know, I'll do these duck awesome. spring rolls <laughs> where I braise the duck with you know five spice and then um, a little bit of plum sauce, the kimchi and the duck in a rice paper um, with a little dipping sauce, and it's really uh, it's really nice. It adds a lot of complexity to that. Um, if I had soggy pickles, something like that, uh, which does happen, you know, these kind of things get yes. sucked in the fridge. And yeah. um, I, I think something like that would be a great addition to some fresh cucumber soup. You know, you have yeah. this kind of very fresh uh, green cucumber flavor, uh, acts like you know, punctuated with this tangy, salty, and the texture isn't as much of a problem if you're, um, you know, if you're eating a soup like that. Um, I, uh, I've fermented grape leaves, wild grape leaves, as um, a preservation technique to preserve them to make domatas and things like that. Um, the garlic mustard, you know, we make vinegars and then use that to make mustards. So, You also speak about uh, not having the patience to wait for fruit to ripen, and you use unripe fruit. What are some unripe fruits um, um, <laughs> that you do? Well, uh, and flower buds, too, right? Yeah, um, so strawberries are one, uh, and that always kind of surprises people. With those, I often do a vinegar pickle on the strawberries because uh, the strawberry flavor actually comes out, but... Ooh, that's uh, it. So you're taking green, like not quite ripe strawberries. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny. You know, the first time I did it, I go to this farm that we buy a lot of our stuff from, and they're known for their strawberries. You know, they grow these great strawberries. And I roll up at like you know seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, and I said, "Do you have any green strawberries?" And the guy says, "Do you want green strawberries?" So they went out and they picked some green strawberries for me, and uh, it, it's great because uh, they have um, they have a lot more texture than the ripe strawberries. They aren't soft. They're more like a cucumber pickle. But you get at the end, you get this kind of fresh strawberry flavor without the sweetness. That's fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. With the yeah. flower buds, I um, I make a lot of wild capers using flower buds. Ooh. Yeah. So milkweed blossoms, before the flowers actually open when they're still a little bud, I'll snip them off of the stem. They grow in kind of a flat umbral. And I'll snip them off of that and then brine them, ferment them briefly, and then store them. And uh, they're great. They have uh, they don't have quite as much uh, bite as a caper does. You know, the texture's a little softer. But they have that same kind of briny, salty um, quality. You know, unripe uh, elderberries, unripe wild currants. Um, there's some other flowers I, I can't think of uh, 
some of the other flowers that I use now. But yeah, this is very you're very inspired with yeah. this. Like, I feel like all of our brains are going crazy, but I want to get back in that kitchen. Now. I love Definitely. It. So since we were talking about quick ferments before. If somebody, what what would you recommend for people that wanted to do some quick ferments? Um, that's a good question. Well, you know, you can do uh, quick cucumber pickles, or you know, just take a couple days, and they really, you know, you can leave them overnight, and they'll have they'll be salty, and they won't quite be half sours, maybe, but um, you can leave them anywhere from a day to a week or two and they'll that that's a nice ferment mm-hmm. uh the quick kimchi those are great also yeah because those will take a couple days too or if you do want I, if you wanted to do a quick exactly yeah um uh the uh the yogurts are great you had mentioned doing a yogurt um i'm trying to think of some other things and yogurt is very easy uh, let's talk about that oh, actually yeah. since we're going to talk about that because i have kind of i so i use a sous vide stick to make my mm-hmm. yogurt oh that's perfect basically the whole principle of making yogurt is that you just want if you're using a mesophilic culture mm-hmm. which is typically what most commercial yogurts are yeah most bulgarian style yogurts though yeah our our mes, mesophilic mesophilic yeah um Wait, oh, so thermophilic is what I'm saying. Mesophilic is room temperature. Mm-hmm. Thermophilic yeah, yeah, is yeah, sorry, is what yes. most... Right. Sorry, I'm, I'm speaking backwards. Thermophilic is what... So they work at about 109, 110 degrees, mm-hmm. the lactobacillus cultures. Um, so if you were to get a fresh yogurt from your, your local store, um, then you could just take a little bit of that and add it to um, some milk that you've pasteurized at home, cool down to 109, and then you just... I keep it with my sous vide stick at 109 for about five hours. Um, and it's super easy. I know I haven't played with uh, the mesophilic yet, which is room temperature That's room yogurt. temperature, yeah. That's also I, like, I haven't done much with that either. Yeah. I usually use the thermophilic. And that's great because anybody can make it. You know, every grocery store has... I usually use uh, Stonyfield or Stony Brook. I can mm-hmm. never remember which one it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just add some of that as the starter. Um, but, you know, as long as you look at the container and it lists live active cultures, um, it'll work. Uh, the other thing that's really great and a lot of people don't think to make it is creme fraiche, which is just I use cream and I use buttermilk as a starter. And that's actually uh, mesophilic. That, so you just uh, do that at room temp. Exactly. Do you, now, are you um, culturing the, the cream first? I mean, are you pasteurizing the cream first? No. Okay. Um, I, and, you know, where I am, I can't. Uh, I have a hard time getting non-ultra pasteurized cream. Okay, you know, yeah. most cream in the store yeah. is uh, high temp pasteurized. And uh, typically that's not great for fermentation, but I've had no problem making creme fraiche. You know, sometimes it takes a couple of days, but I usually add maybe a quarter of a cup of buttermilk to a pint of cream and uh, just leave it in a jar in a warmish spot. You know, if you on top of the fridge is usually a little bit warmer than the rest of the kitchen. And within a couple of days, you know, you just taste it every day. You have this nice, thick, nutty fresh yeah that's really good and the other thing um is that i i don't actually like i like the, the texture of regular yogurt mm-hmm. i don't actually love greek yogurt chris is I a love, big I love greek, greek yogurt. Yogurt. yeah but i do like to um strain my yogurt to the point where it's like a cream cheese texture exactly, yeah. and i spread that on bread or mm-hmm. use that so i like that the other thing though that i've read about is actually doing flavored yogurt so there's a lot of flavored yogurts kind of mm-hmm. trending right now especially in new york city um there's a lot of savory yogurts that are on the market but i'm i'm this huge i'm on this big tea kick right now so rachel and i went to a coffee and tea festival a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and i was reading because you can infuse milk with any flavors mm-hmm. before you culture it to, so doing tea flavored yogurt oh, that's so do like idea. an earl gray mm-hmm. and you could um you could infuse it afterward as well you could either infuse the milk before and then culture it or um or infuse it afterward yeah as and well, i think I depending think. on what you were infusing it with um 
the 110, 109 degrees may be warm enough to encourage that infusion. You know, if yeah. you're using something like lavender blossoms, which are, you know, they have a really strong flavor and it's pretty uh, volatile to begin with, I think that that would probably work. Yeah, because um, you could just add it while you're culturing exactly. the yogurt. Yeah. Exactly. And the temperature would be low enough that you wouldn't blow off the aromas. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it's also high enough to get those aromas to release. Yeah. You know? yeah. Something like uh, like cinnamon or star anise that's a little tougher that, that may not be warm enough. You may be better off uh, bringing the milk up to a warmer temperature. So like if you pasteurize the milk before. Exactly. You could, you yeah. Could, yeah. Um, what else? Yeah. What other kinds of yogurt creations have you? Well, I do the strained yogurt thing quite often. Um and then I'll add, you know, one thing that's really nice to do, I, I don't do it at the cafe uh, all too much, but I do it a lot at home when I'm having a party, is I strain the yogurt and then I just drizzle it with olive oil and za'atar mm. and olives and crudite, and it's a really nice alternative to um, to some of those saltier, more uh, more fatty dips. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And I've been using my yogurt. I'm addicted to pancakes right now, too, for some yeah. reason. So. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Oh, well, yogurt is great. Yeah, so yeah. I've been using my, my yogurt in <laughs> yeah. the pancakes as well. Yeah, I, I've done that. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm home and I open the fridge and whether I have milk, buttermilk, yogurt, you know, I just sour cream. That's Those are all great in pancakes. Yeah, whatever. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's great to marinate chicken in also as uh, or, or anything, really. But uh, you don't want to leave it in too long because you don't want the acid to start to break down the meat too much oh. where it gets a strange texture. So what's a good what's a good marination time for yogurt yeah. and uh, chicken? So and it depends fowl. on the meat. Yeah. So for poultry like a chicken, turkey, that kind of thing, you know, maybe 2-3 hours. Um for something like pork or beef, you could leave it in overnight a little bit longer. Hmm. But I like to use yogurt and cilantro and some cumin and Ooh, that sounds um, good. a little bit of lemon and yeah. Then so and you make sodas for the cafe. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about that a little bit because they're not fermented technically, but they're really easy to make, and I think they're a nice complement to yeah. And, and know, they certainly could else. be fermented. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't ferment them just for ease of use at the cafe, but uh, what I do is I make a syrup and then I add it to seltzer to create the soda. Um, we actually just got a jockey box and a setup to start doing draft sodas. So that's what I'm, I'm going to be yes. force carbonating them. But um, one thing that I do is a 20-ingredient root beer. Ooh. <laughs> so th- I started this uh, a couple winters ago when we had one of these horrible winters where everybody was kind of shut inside all winter long. And I went, uh, I looked on the internet for all these root beer recipes, and I was getting all these old recipes from the 1800s that had you know these huge, long lists of ingredients. So I was just going through them, and I tried each recipe, and then I took some things from one recipe and other recipes, and I synthesized this uh, root beer recipe. So it uses all whole barks, roots, herbs, spices. Um, you know, there's no flavorings or anything in it. And I make a concentrated syrup, and then we add that to seltzer to make the soda at the cafe. Now, are you using things that you forage for that? Uh, I'm Often I'm not able to forage it in that great a quantity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, dandelion root, yellow dock root, that's a lot of work. Digging them, washing them, drying them. Uh, so right now I'm sourcing, uh, everything is sourced through Frontier, which is... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. A great urban spice company. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get big orders in from Frontier for root beer syrup. Awesome. Yeah. And you're just making a basic simple syrup with it. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I uh, I add all of the botanicals to the pot with the water, make a decoction. You know, boil it for a while, strain it off, add the sugar, and that's it. Yeah, I love. Home- I've I've made a bunch of homemade sodas in the past as well. Yeah. And, and that, if you fun. wanted to ferment that, you could um, you could either not add as much sugar. You know, fit factor in the dilution when you're making the syrup. Or dilute it afterwards and then pitch it with some yeast, close it off, and let it ferment. 
Yeah. I actually, for Christmas one year, I did that. I made fermented sodas and I gave it to some family members with very clear instructions about keeping it in the fridge. Yes. Right. Well, yeah. nobody listened. All my family put it on the countertops and came home yeah. to soda and broken glass all over the place. Yeah. So yeah. that was the last year I did that. That's the advantage of kegging these sodas. Exactly. Is that then you can... You know, keep them in there. Exactly. And the root beer syrup, one of the great things about that is it's a great cooking ingredient also. Mm-hmm. Um, I braise short ribs with it. Makes and sense. it's just yeah. fantastic, you know, with the, the fatty, rich short ribs, the sugar, it's, yeah. it's really good. So what else are you, uh, we're going to have to wrap up, but since we're coming into warmer weather and, you know, there's going to be a lot of other things growing, what else are you looking forward to doing, you know, kind of early spring, fermenting early spring? Early spring. Um, well, the elder blossoms come out in early spring. So those are the flowers for the elderberries. Um, it's what St. Germain is made out of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this really great floral aroma. Uh, those and the black locust blossoms, which are, you know, black locusts are these big trees. They have these white blossoms. And uh, they're remarkably like jasmine. Ooh. And they're only out for about a week. So I make sodas with those. But this year I'm looking forward to uh, fermenting that a little bit. You know, I want to try coming up with a wine or a champagne sparkling style wine with that and then see see where that goes. That sounds fun. Now, how that are you just fine. picking those? Yeah. yeah. And, then boi- and then boiling them? Yeah. Like they're, a little, a they're a little delicate. Or? So what yeah. I do is I usually bring the water up to a simmer. You know, I'll bring it up to a boil. I'll turn it off. I'll let it cool just a little. Then I add the blossoms, cover it, and just let it sit off the heat like that. And infuse. And infuse, yeah. Yeah. So what I did last year was I made a syrup with those, just a simple syrup, and then I canned it. So I've been using that all winter long, and it's really fabulous. I've been making sodas with it. And then I've made ice creams and cakes and Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff, yeah. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I've never, because I've had a lot of elder... Very flower, mm-hmm. you know, besides St. Germain, but other things. Um, but I've never heard of the black locust flower. Yeah, black it's locust tree. And uh, I, I don't know how uh, common they are down here, but up in the Catskills, we have them everywhere. Uh, and the trick is just finding ones that are low enough. They tend to grow very tall. Yeah. And you can't get the blossoms. But if you can find ones that are low enough, um, that's another thing that somebody in the green market may be willing to bring down. Yeah, I know I in France. Start, I have they, to befriend some. some you do? Yeah. I mean, I need to, yeah. So I can get somebody to bring me some of these blossoms. Well, the farmer and the brewer should be friends. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They do carry them at markets I in France, I know. They uh, they call them false acacia, and you can go to oh. farmer's markets and get these big bundles of locust oh God, uh, branches. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. You got anything else, Kuzmi? No, I'm, I'm going to come visit you, like, pronto. <laughs> I want to go to the cafe. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah. have to get up there. So when wh- what, when are you guys open? So our farm store, uh, we have a farm store with all of our meats, uh, locally produced wool pot products, pottery, cheeses, uh, the whole works. Uh, that's open Wednesday through Sunday from 11 to 3. And then the cafe itself is open Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 3. Uh, we do the tasting dinners monthly. Um, if you go to the website, heather-ridge-farm.com, there's a whole calendar of different events. So we do some more casual dinners. We do the five-course tasting dinners, which are a little bit more elaborate. Um, awesome. Yeah, we definitely will have to make it up there. For, we'll take a little weekend trip. Yeah. Can do you tell you, us anything about what you have in mind for the next tasting dinner? I know the last one was, uh, what, last week? Uh, a couple weeks ago. Um I have the menu. I've made the menu up, but I can't remember what I put on it. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't know. Wait, I got to ask about your llamas. That, you have guard llamas, yeah. right? We do have guard llamas. I love yes. llamas. The llamas guard the sheep. Yeah. So uh, actually, not too far from us, there's a llama rescue. And really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, the guy used to be a llama breeder back when breeding llamas was a thing. And what happened was there was a big bubble in that market. Everybody was breeding these llamas, and. Uh, 
the market all collapsed and then there was all these llamas that nobody wanted to take care of anymore because they weren't worth anything. So this guy had been a breeder, realized the problem that was going on, and he became a llama rescue. So he takes in hundreds of llamas every year and finds homes for them. So we work with him and we get the rescue llamas from him. And they're great guard animals. They really bond with the sheep and the goats, who are the two animals that really require guarding. And they work. Are you pairs. guarding against like coyotes or uh, coyotes, dogs? You know, okay. some, oh, if yeah. a dog gets out, yeah. Um, mostly coyotes and dogs are the two big things. And they work in pairs, uh, so we keep them in pairs. And if even if a person comes up to the fence, you know, they aren't they don't attack people, but they're very curious and they want to see you and know what you are. And, uh, They're one like the bouncer asking for ID. Exactly. And one of them will <laughs> run over to the fence and get right in your face to smell you and see what's going on. And the other one will round up the sheep and the goats and kind of bring them off to the other side of the field. That's wow. amazing. So They're really amazing, yeah. yeah. And then we use their fiber to make socks. You know, They have to be sheared every year to... Uh, so that they don't overheat in the summer. So do you guys, do you have them uh, processed somewhere or do you process uh, We have them, them processed somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah but we, uh, we ship them out to a small mill that keeps all of our stuff together. Yeah. You know, a lot of places you common. send it off and it gets yeah. pooled. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the m- more common thing is that they pool your wool or your fiber, you know, whatever, with everybody else's and you just get back socks that... You know, right. May have yours or may not. May not. Oh, so they may, they do the socks for you. Yeah. Oh, that's all awesome. of our fiber gets kept oh. in the same batch, and we get the socks back. So. Oh, that's Mary's awesome. on a pancake I, obsession right now, but she did. She used to have a sock obsession. Was trying to yeah. Make well, I knit and crochet and yeah. felt and stuff. So oh, socks are difficult to knit, though. Yeah. 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 I, I had to give them up at some point. I, I, I can usually finish one sock by the time yes. I. And then you have then to I make another a, one. I know, but then I put it away and say, "Oh, I'll start the oh, other one next week," and then you just have a collection of socks. Are cool. I like single socks. I like single socks. Things that come in like one. Yeah. Before, I, you know, there's a, there's a market for llama therapy out there. If you ever, yeah, we actually uh, we okay. have a friend who uh, who has a llama farm, and she does a lot of llama therapy. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. So yeah, you bring the llamas, to, and they just <laughs> well, we definitely have to come up and visit. Yeah, so. I need some llama therapy. Yeah, we actually one of our llamas, uh, one of our regular customers, who's a close friend, uh, they're getting married this spring. And they asked that one of our llamas be their ring bearer. Yes. So we're going to fashion a a device to hold the ring, a little pillow, and the llama is going to be their ring bearer. So good. That's great. That's great. That sounds amazing. Heather Ridge Farm. Heather-Ridge-Farm.com. The Bees Needs Cafe. Rob Handel, you are awesome and inspiring, and I can't wait to come taste your food. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. No, thanks for having me. Fun in about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.